We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Turnovers, injuries, not the best football around the league in week 11, but there were some highlights. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find the Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work over at Rotoviz. Uh, maybe we should just talk about my Huskies, who are 11 and 0. 11 and 0, getting ready to. Win the college football playoff, right? I mean, yeah, you're giving them a big it. advantage on Georgia and whoever comes <laughs> out of that Big Ten brawl. My my favorite thing right now is they're like heavily – they're going to be pretty big underdogs. They're going to be more than three-point underdogs in the Pac-12 championship to Oregon, it seems. If you look at like the betting futures odds to win the Pac-12 championship – they suggest a you know a money line in that game that would suggest at least like a four and a half point or five point spread. Then you just spent a half an hour explaining to me why your team having a season like the Minnesota Vikings had last year sets them up to be the best team in the country. That's not what I said. <laughs> your other th- your <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about pro football now, Sean. It wasn't a very exciting week. We had uh, the. I mean, it's man. We had Devon A. Chan was coming back, and then he barely played, goes out right away, and then we we got to watch Savon Ahmed score a touchdown on a play that I'm sure you had the same thought as me is like that was a an A. Chan play in the playbook this week. Like that's that was the little route that A. Chan was supposed to be running. You mentioned also Kenneth Walker goes out. That's uh, an oblique. Has a history of sports hernia stuff. That could be a multi-week injury. I mean, they play on Thanksgiving. He's probably not going to be ready by Thursday. They made him doubtful right away. So we get some more injuries. Obviously, Thursday night football, Sean, was pretty disastrous for fantasy football. To lose Mark Andrews, to lose Joe Burrow for the season, both of them. I mean, Burrow was just starting to play well. The Bengals were starting to really get going, at least for fantasy perspective, obviously. Andrews, you know, a huge hit to the tight end end landscape, which has been deep for the first time in a lot of years, but not a good week for injuries, not a good week. I mean, even stuff like, look, I I told the listeners that I thought Justin Jefferson would be back in the minimum. He doesn't come back again this week, and it looks like now 
What I was really concerned about is if he doesn't come back in the minimum, they only had three games until their bye. I don't see why they'd bring him back next week, one week before their bye. So he's probably going to miss seven games and then the bye and then be back. It's not fun when good players are not on the field. I mean, you want to embrace these Sundays and all the good things as opposed to dreading, you know, which players you're going to lose. And that's always been part of it. I think that the fantasy part and the human part together, where we know that some of these guys are suffering injuries that, you know, are going to cause some detrimental life effects. But that is kind of the way it goes. And we did have some entertaining games today as well. And we had a lot of turnovers and something that has been more or less a theme of the last decade. And it's just so striking when you do kind of cut the NFL into eras is you'll see the superstars of 30, 40, 50 years ago were much looser with the ball than the worst quarterbacks of today. You also see, you know, through, you know, the last 10, 15 years, when guys fumble, they get benched and they don't get more opportunities for a while because losing those fumbles is so demoralizing your team. I don't feel like we've necessarily seen quite as much of that recently. And there is some like little tiny part in the back of your head that wonders if that's one of the reasons you have a game or a day like today. Ben, some of our favorite teams the Washington Commanders were out there against the Giants. Now, granted, it is the Giants, and so they <laughs> probably should have won this game fairly easily. But Ben, they were down 5-0 in turnover margin as Sam Howell is trying to lead them to the game-winning drive, which does end up with the sixth turnover, <laughs> which is a pick six. So they lose with a 6-0 turnover margin there. We have a game where the Detroit Lions back from a deficit that it definitely did not appear they were going to to overcome the lions lose the turnover battle four to one they lose the time of possession battle 40 to 19 they still do win that game because they have a lot of good players and they were able to attack late you look at the miami dolphins you mentioned we lose a chan early on and i mean this is a game where the las vegas raiders are coming off of two performances where they get back to back victories but over two of the worst teams in football but they had a shot at this dolphins team today which i think is probably not a great sign for the miami dolphins who are playing at home the dolphins do average over six yards per play in this one obviously that's a good number they were still moving the ball they get another huge score from Tyreek Hill they're able to hold Josh Jacobs in check that's the key thing you need to do on defense and yet you get to the end of this one and they do not put this Raiders team away it's a couple of interceptions on the final drives from Aiden O'Connell that allowed them to seal the game when you're thinking about these games and obviously Giants commanders is really only relevant from a fantasy perspective you have a massive game today from saquon barkley where he looked you know back to where he looked as a rookie just this sensational talent along the lines of you know what we talk about with Bijan robinson we're hoping to get from someone like a Brees hall once the offense works but the games that are actually more relevant to fantasy and reality together the games that are really interesting i mean this would have been 
an apocalyptic loss for the Lions that they avoid. It's a game that the Dolphins really needed to win fairly easily. When you're looking at those two, either of those two games jump out to you as being kind of the statement game of the weekend? I I mean, I don't know that there was like a statement game of the weekend. I think you made really good points. Um, It was concerning for me with the Dolphins. I, I, I guess I thought that in my head, as I was watching it, I was making excuses like, man, they were probably just really geared up to have A-Chan in this game plan and, and him going out right away, kind of. Because I think part of their struggles the last couple of weeks have been, you know, Waddle hasn't been right and A-Chan's been out and they've wanted to be this really concentrated offense that only has like four stars and two of them aren't playing. And so you have Tyree Kill and you have Moster. And that's, I mean, what, they don't have anyone else. Like they, I mean, it's like, trying to work in like Cedric Wilson, you know, I mean, there's not a lot else there. I mean, Ahmed's an interesting third running back, like, yeah, but like how many running backs are going to be your top five best skill players. You need other pass catchers is what it comes down to. And this is a game where even though he hasn't really been involved, Durham Smythe is out. They do end up being actually very concentrated, 19 targets to Hill and Waddle, no more than four to any other player. Now they do have more total guys with targets than they have in some games, but yeah, I mean, outside of Tyreek Hill, you have Raheem Mostert carries 22 times, which isn't a huge problem for them, but he averages under four yards per carry, which is a little bit unique with how explosive he is. I mean, Tua averages over eight yards per pass. He goes over 300 yards, and yet, I mean, it was another game where outside of those amazing plays from Tyreek Hill, they look pretty bad. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is almost the end of 2023. We are coming up to the holiday season. I, for one, am very excited about the holidays as they approach. But it can be a time of the year where you may struggle with seasonal blues. It can be a wonderful time, but it can also be a challenging time. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid the stress and change. Something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded. Give you the tools to manage everything going. Going on. 2023 was the first year that I tried therapy. I started in early 2023 and have continued throughout. It's helped me to learn positive coping skills, to help me work through the process on a day-to-day basis, and to help me process some life events. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched to a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rotoviz today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Rotoviz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It is like this. The, I guess the reason I said I, I don't know if there's like a statement game is uh, these are the types of games where I question how much they were really trying, basically, which is kind of a weird way of putting it. It was a close enough game that you think they would have been doing something. I mean, they could have lost this game, to your point. I mean, the 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 Raiders had the ball late in the fourth quarter multiple times down seven. And if they can drive down and score and they decide to go for two, they can win this game, right? I mean, they can just win it right there. But there is the element in the NFL where it's a long season and teams don't want to show everything. And Mike McDaniel might be at this point starting to look ahead, I think, to the playoffs and, and you know, keeping some of his cards up his sleeve a little bit. You're facing Aiden O'Connell at home. So is there an amount of this that, what that, you know, they end up running Raheem Mostert 22 times and it, it, he isn't particularly efficient in this game. And they weren't like even really a lot of creative runs. It was a lot of just like straightforward running when they had the lead in the second half. Uh, I'll be interested to see like their pass rate over expected some of that stuff. You mentioned that a few of their other guys had targets that don't necessarily do. There, there seemed to be like some little design plays like that. But I mean, for the most part, I felt like it was a pretty bland version of the Dolphins. And I, I mean, the only thing that would have shook that up in my mind would have been HN getting an opportunity to do some stuff in the passing game. And I, I bring up the Ahmed play because he does run a route and catch a TD that looks like an HN route, basically. And, and you know, my immediate thought was that's HN would have been out there for that, but he was off the field at that point. He only has the two touches in the game. But I think there's a possibility that HN would have been that other receiving threat basically in this game could have had like five or six catches Ahmed ends up having the three anyway yeah I mean it it wasn't an impressive performance for Miami at the same time like if you ask them they're probably pretty comfortable with a low-key win over an Aiden O'Connell quarterback team at home like maybe they took them a little too lightly but also maybe they were just trying to get a win against an inferior opponent I mean, anytime that you win in the NFL, we've seen a lot of really bad losses. You can think back to you know, half of the games the Bills have played this year, you think to the Chiefs' loss against the Broncos. But the Dolphins, especially at home, 
were really putting their stamp on this season early. And now this is a game where in the second half, the Raiders had, I mean, they had more punts than this, but but two of their drives were three and outs. Three of their drives were interceptions. Now, a couple of those came late where maybe the Dolphins weren't trying as hard to score, but the Raiders don't score in the second half and the Dolphins just get two field goals. You, you really need to see more from them. It was also yet another game where Tyreek Hill spent a decent amount of time on the sideline, side which, you know, when he's not in and those other guys are not doing much, then you lose even more explosiveness. It does seem like he will probably be fine. But I mean, the contrast with this Dolphins team here and with another team that you know, was kind of looking to, to make a statement coming off of the three losses. They get the win last week and they're playing the Bucks today. To me, the team that looked the most impressive on Sunday was the San Francisco 49ers. You get contributions again from all of the different pieces, even though Debo's aren't incredibly important, but you get the long touchdown uh, to Brandon Ayuk. You get another touchdown from George Kittle. You get a lot of touches for Christian McCaffrey and a receiving touchdown from him. As a result of the touchdown going through the air, you get the three different touchdowns for Brock Purdy, who if you're playing that 49ers commanders week 17 matchup in best ball, you continue to have to be pretty excited about most of the pieces here. The 49ers looked really that's, good. It was. I, I've seen some people suggest that that's going to end up being like, the stack that wins it because so many other you know of the other big high profile games have been hit by injuries but that is the one that is trucking along and so i've got a lot of enthusiasm for that that was one of our highest exposure plays the other side of this game you do get mike evans getting in you get some king jarrett <laughs> 41 yard gain kate otten drops a touchdown late that would have perhaps closed this one up. Got a lot of talk on the telecast about Baker Mayfield's competitiveness. Was that the main takeaway that you had that Baker really competed? The uh, people I was watching the game with wanted the biggest takeaway to be that his State Farm commercials a couple of years ago were underrated more so than his uh, <laughs> play on the field. He does get 45 passes off in this one, takes four sacks, throws a pick, averages under six yards per attempt this is another game where rashad white does nothing on the ground and yet has a very good fantasy game rashad white is absolutely dominating at this point this game is exactly like you would expect but it was a pretty fun game yeah white's been a really great example of that back that we've talked about for a long time that's sort of the idea of the the high value touches and all of that where if you have size and you are able to catch passes and you're good in the receiving game. If you have that combination, because the size will lead to the goal line work, the touchdown upside and the receiving, I mean, you don't even necessarily need to be an efficient player. And he's been efficient in, in the past game for the most part today. Not really only 28 yards on seven targets, six catches. He catches a lot of the targets thrown to him though. He has a really strong catch rate, which is, you know, a slightly different type of efficiency, but still a good, metric he's been good in the yardage department receiving as well really really poor rushing but that doesn't matter like those are the low value touches right the rushing yards like they don't matter i mean if you can catch the targets and get the the ppr points for those and if you're efficient as a receiver that you have the the potential in the passing game to break off a lot more chunk yardage on those touches so if you're more efficient on those touches 
you can have a day like, I mean, t- today, not even really a, a great example, but 30 rushing yards, 28 receiving yards, winds up with 58 total yards. There's some other games where he's had 50, 60 receiving yards, and he pushes, you know, 100 total yards or even, you know, not even quite that because he's only rushing for 30 or 35, but he's able to push 80, 90 total yards, uh, get some PPR or half PPR points for the receptions, have some touchdown equity with the size element. It's a, it's a pretty good profile. And it's not exactly the size back, but the thing we talked about on our sort of projection show with Jameer Gibbs and how easily he was going to be able to get to points. And then if he actually got volume, he would get to extreme points. I mean, Gibbs line almost identical today to that of Rashad white, where the yardage, I mean, he's right there at hundred. So that's fine. Right. But when you add the six receptions and you add a touchdown, his happens to be in the rushing game as opposed to the receiving game. And those 12 points with the one TD and the six receptions, I mean, that makes it so that the, the yardage is almost gravy. When we think about this Lions team coming back, I mean, this is probably the most disappointing team of the weekend through three and a half quarters. And then they make that great push in the fourth. And I think they have to come away with it feeling like maybe this is the most important game of the season for them because they do escape. You need to win sometimes when you don't play that well. Obviously, they committed a lot of turnovers, but they were able to mix David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs together. Gibbs, again, looked absolutely fantastic. You have yet another game where I mean, these teams have to be looking to shut Amon Ross St. Brown down, and he does it yet again, and he gets the key touchdown to kind of keep them alive in the first half of the game where they, again, were just were atrocious as well. And then, Ben, we've seen this happen over and over. And by over and over, I just mean a handful of times. <laughs> but across the, the last year, ever since Jamison Williams came back from that ACL tear where he gets behind the defense and Jared Goff misses him. In this game, he was so wide open <laughs> that Goff, you know, and he, he threw a decent pass, but it would have been very difficult to miss him in this one. The speed element, we talked about how Williams was going to get some catches that mattered at some point. The deep strike here and how that kind of opens their offense up and opens it up in a game where, frankly, I mean, this is far and away the, the worst game that Jared Goff has played this year, and yet he made the key throws in the key moments. Yeah, and they went right back to him on the next drive, too. I mean, as they were trailing, he became more of the passing game. It became clear that they wanted to attack and score quickly. I saw something that said that the because the Bears in this game scored to go up 26 to 14 with four minutes and 15 seconds left. And they kick off uh up 12 at that point. They they kicked a field goal at that point to go from uh nine to twelve points. I thought that was a little bit odd. It was a fourth and five at the 21. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, okay, I guess like, you know, nine is just a touchdown and a field goal. You can lose by one. But the difference between nine and 12 doesn't really feel that that sharp to me. And so I was at the time thinking, man, I hope that doesn't come back and bite them. And it did. The Lions attacked and were quick and were able to score in about a looks like a minute, 16 seconds or so. And, he, and Goff hit Jamison Williams for the 32-yard TD that you just described. They get a quick three and out. Call a couple timeouts. Bears only get one yard on their three downs and then have to punt. And the Lions get the ball back with 233, and they're down five now. So they, they take that 12-point deficit where I, – I, what I was saying is I saw somebody on Twitter say that their win probability at that moment after they had scored and, and made it a 12-point game, 
was like 98% or something or 95%, whatever, some really high metric, which everyone always says, well, it obviously wasn't that high if they lost. Well, no, I mean, in actuality, they they probably would have won that game 19 out of 20 times. It probably was 95%, but the Lions executed incredibly well from that point where they were clearly in a tough spot and there's a lot of – their margins were very thin from that point on, but they were able to execute. The Bears were not able to get a first down when they needed to. And the Lions go on to win because of it. But yeah, I mean, they the fact that the Lions were able to score so quickly in under a minute and a half, and they did it, like you said, by pushing to Jamison Williams downfield. And when they got the ball back the next drive, short pass to David Montgomery for 13 yards on the first play. Next play was, uh, I'm just looking at the game log, incomplete pass deep left to Jamison Williams. That's the play I'm thinking of. Can't quite visualize it, but I know they took a shot to him right away to start that second drive. It was like, we're going to keep pushing to you and then they all ultimately had like a, an 11 play drive where they piece things together a little bit but he i think helped that as well because they went back the next play they ran it you know they're, they're right before the two minute warning and they run it for 12 yards on second and 10 and get a first down some short passes to gibbs laporta montgomery over the next few downs some more running and they're able to to push all the way down the field it ends up being david montgomery one yard rushing td with like 29 seconds left and they come back and they win this game. But we talked about this recently about how their offense was structured and, and how they've built through some of the underneath passing and the short passing and, and then sort of been more rotational with the outside receivers and the vertical element, but it still stresses the defense. And Jameson Williams is still so clearly the best of the outside receivers at stressing the defenses. And you saw that here where they hit for that TD, like you said, and then when they got the ball back the next drive, they took the shot early in that drive. And it just opened everything up. It, I mean, it, it makes the whole package work. He's a clear, important part. You know, what I said when we talked about this was I was concerned he might be better, like we've said with deep players before, better for the team, you know, for the real-life team than for fantasy. And that may still be a concern. He only winds up with three targets here. He does have the long TD. But how much can he really do if you're only getting a couple deep shots every week and you're more – stressing the safeties so that there's room underneath for Amon Ross St. Brown, Laporta, Gibbs. It does, it is challenging. However, you know, within all of that, there's nuance. And in the end of this game, the point that I'm trying to emphasize is he became very important. He became the guy down the field more so than Josh Reynolds or the other Khalif Raymond, Donovan Peoples-Jones, the other uh, rotational outside receivers that they have, vertical receivers that they have. I mean, it became clear that it was Jamison Williams when they were backs against the wall and and it would be cool to see if he could build on this a little bit. And it may just be that it's what I really want to have happen, but I think that you should go out and I mean, you still want to be very price sensitive and not, you know, give up more than you need to or more than is appropriate. But I think you want to go out and acquire Jamison Williams this week. It's going to be a lot harder now after this touchdown, obviously, because you know, everybody reacts to the big play feeling like it could be the start of something. But you also have those Jamison Williams managers who are like, man, if this is the play that allows me to get rid of him at a decent price, I want to do it because I've been holding him now for this all this time. When you have some situations like that, I would look at it because, I mean, his enthusiasm seems contagious. We've talked about how he's made big blocks downfield, and that's something that almost has to get him back in the good graces of the coaching staff and certainly his teammates would enjoy then again, I mean, you, I'm like everybody and that I tend to see the guys that I'm most interested in. I tend to see what they're doing the most clearly. But you think back to Thursday night and how 
there are so many disappointing things about it. And because of all the injuries, the relatively limited role from Keaton Mitchell, you know, tends to end up being, you know, less disappointing than just all these guys who aren't going to play anymore. He obviously doesn't do a ton. You get a couple more of those touchdowns for Gus Edwards, but I believe it's a long play to Zay Flowers where the other guy, like 50, 60, 70 yards down the field, flying just absolutely flying and you can only only do that if you have four three speed so it is kind of a beneficial type of thing for these guys like jameson williams like keaton mitchell when you can really run but when there's a guy who's not really involved in the play and gets 50 yards downfield to block for a teammate you know if you want more snaps if you want more routes if you want more touches go block 60 yards down the field your coach <laughs> yeah like that so i mean i'm, I'm also i saw i saw do that today was our our guy speaking of guys that we tend to see and be biased uh, and, and see do these things. Our, our guy, Jackson Smith and Jigba motioned like on the inside on an important, like I think, I think it was a third and one, if not a fourth and one. And then, you know, sealed off his guy. Like he was basically the lead blocker on a play. Cause he like came in, you know, he got like, motioned into like an inline alignment and like hit the hole and, and had to hit, you know, get to the linebacker. And, Sealed it off, and and Charbonnet had a nice little run for a first down, and then he you know did a big flex after the play. He was really excited about his run block. <laughs> Very, nice. Very nice. He had a big play down the field early in the game that gets overturned, which obviously was the correct call. One, no, it wasn't. Both of his feet were out of bounds, but the they so they called it a catch on the field and then they determined that there was inconclusive evidence that his first foot was off the ground when the ball hit his hands it's very clear that then you know one foot gets down the second one's on the line but the one that winds up on the line was very split second whether it was still on the ground from the previous step when the ball hit his hands were you just making a joke that that was a bad call i i, I thought that was a really weird overturn so you're saying that they should have kept it? Yeah. I mean, they called it a catch on the field. I don't think that was conclusive. Was it definitely conclusive? The, the toe that went on the on the line was clearly on the line. But the step prior, I mean, it looked to me they were showing all these slow-mos, and I'm like, I, I can't tell. I mean, obviously I wanted it to be a catch, but like, I'm like, there's no way you can overturn this. I can't tell that he definitely got his foot off the ground before the ball hit his hands. I mean, it was bang, bang, if anything. But they determined it was – it was definitely conclusive. My favorite one today was on quite possibly the most important punt of the weekend. <laughs> Obviously, that's not true. The punt hits because this is going to set yeah. the Cardinals up. It's going to set up like basically in my mind, I'm thinking it's going to set up like five catches for Trey McBride. But from a more objective global perspective, it's going to set up Kyler Murray to either lead the Cardinals to victory or not, in which case C.J. Stroud gets another big win. Then the ball has punted off a Texans player's back, and somehow it's incorrectly called on the field. And then despite like the most clear-cut image of it hitting the Texans guy in the back and not being anywhere close to a Cardinals player, that play is not overturned. Gene Steratore seemed to be a little confused about that one as well. Ben, this was a huge play. Even after they say the call stands, they get him on the broadcast, and he's going, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, I think that, that was very clear, and it was – it has to be, you know, 
inconclusive. Or, I mean, it has to be whatever the word is I'm trying to think of. It has to be clear and obvious. And he's like, I think that was clear and obvious. Like, that should have been overturned. I mean, he was very blatant as the uh, refereeing consultant, whatever we call them, on the broadcast. If you're doing that, they were talking today about the fact that the Texans only trailed the Lions, which I'm actually surprised that they did in explosive plays coming in. Yeah. So it's, I mean, they're obviously up there, is what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of different ways we could cut this stat. And when you look at the ways that he's throwing, he's doing, you know, rolling to one hash and throwing back across. You mentioned that the Tank Dell kind of falling back, diving ish touchdown today. That was an incredible throw, extended play. And just let it loose. And I mean, got it way downfield. That was the one that was right before half as well, where it was like the defense should have let him behind them. He does a good job to get that little bit of separation. But also, it's just it's just such an incredible throw <laughs> in the situation. He's made so many of those. To your point, the interceptions were bad in and of themselves, but you're going to have those. I mean, there's a lot of good real football analysts who have argued for a long time that you want interceptions essentially. And I think that's kind of the wrong messaging, but that it's sort of been that interceptions come with good quarterback play that there's, you know, one of the criticisms of Aaron Rodgers in his peak, because he was always a big interception avoider was that he was too worried about not turning the ball over that he would miss opportunities to push, especially when they were down. And somebody said it, uh, on Twitter recently, it was an old stat, but uh, so I don't know that it's still true, and I, I doubt it is. But that like he had never come back and won a game by more than a nine point deficit or something like that, which must have been true for some period of his career. I think it was, you know, several years ago that that was the stat. But that was a, I mean, the 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 point in the argument is when you're down, you have to be willing to take risks, you have to be willing to take shots, and even sometimes when early in games when you're, you know neutral situation or even leading you have to be willing to press because it sets up schematically a lot of different things there's obviously situations like third and longs where you can do it as sort of arm punts i saw i think kevin cole obviously you know of formerly of rotaviz uh writing about some of josh allen's interceptions issues and mentioning that like three of them basically had no uh expected points added the epa metric had like no negative epa value because they were third and longs that were like really effective arm punts where he he threw like a 50 yard pass and then got intercepted so yeah if three of your interceptions are like not even bad because it's such a low probability of converting this third and 15 and you have a 50 yard interception and it becomes an arm punt i mean that's context that's relevant right and it's and so there are opportunities. We talked about this with Ryan Fitzpatrick late in his career, Sean. We always loved this about him. When he would get behind, he'd be down by two scores. He was either going to go out, throw in interceptions like crazy, or he was going to you know, do the Fitzmagic stuff. And the reason he got that nickname is he always understood. And, I mean, yeah, Harvard guy, right? But, like, there is the element where he always understood game situation, right? I have to be aggressive. It doesn't matter if I throw four interceptions at this point. And it's something that – you know, people have tried to to uh, apply to Jameis Winston and stuff as well. I think it works for Jameis Winston when he's trailing. The issue with Jameis is he can sometimes get that erratic when he's also in situations where he shouldn't be necessarily as erratic as he as he can get to. But this is an important quality of quarterback play, is what I'm getting at. And Stroud has it. And and yes, in this situation, he throws some interceptions in spots where it is pretty bad. The the two late interceptions, and particularly they were bad because they're in field goal range up five late in the in the game, in the fourth quarter. 
and he does it on two consecutive drives where, I mean, Houston getting a field goal there to go up eight is a massive moment in the game. And, you know, I was a little bit shocked by both of those and a little bit concerned. At the same time, he's a rookie. He has done none of this to this point. He also had great throws in this game. It was still a strong game overall, as you noted, nine yards per attempt. That long TD to Tank Dell, so impressive. It's not even like this was a bad game. There was a couple of bad throws. And again, you're right when you say that some of the other quarterbacks, when they make these throws, we'd be hammering for them for it. But it's also just, I mean, there are other quarterbacks where we'd be like, yeah, that's unlike them. We've seen so much good from them. We're not going to hold it against them. Like Patrick Mahomes has thrown bad interceptions. The point is everyone has mistakes. And this kid came into this game with two picks on the year, a couple bad ones in this game. Absolutely. It needs to not become a problem. He did have a high rate of turnover worthy plays in college last year. That was one of my concerns with him in the transition and looking at the stats. He had a good rate of big time throws over at PFF, the way that they classify those. Also a a high rate of of turnover worthy plays. So he looked like this guy who takes a lot of shots. And I've been, you know, I'm doing this whole monologue here because I've been kind of, you know, in the back of my mind, is another another shoe going to drop where some of of his aggressiveness starts to turn into some interceptions? I really hope we don't see this become an issue, but it can't be overstated how like little this particular game was in terms of relative to the sample he's put out there. It's there's a couple of bad plays, and it happens, right? I mean, it wasn't well, it wasn't the mar- no, and the margins that we've seen him be able to create by virtue of his ability to move and extend plays. I mean, he doesn't like to run, but it's great to, I mean, if you have receivers on your roster from this team, you love those extended plays. And then the quality of the throws just doesn't really lend itself to a lot of these errors. And one of the things too, now with the quarterback mobility being so important, you got a lot of the shorter quarterbacks who do struggle to make throws over the line. And that's the last thing that CJ Stroud has to worry about. Now we are going to see him go through stretches where he's not as dominant as he's been. And you think back, for example, to how good Deshaun Watson was as a rookie. You can think about people from different positions, like how good Odell Beckham was, how good Saquon Barkley was. I mean, you think about Beckham and Barkley as examples of guys where we would have expected them to become just legendary fantasy pieces and really they've been solid since their rookie seasons and i just mentioned that just that i think that cj stroud is going to be solid cj stroud is going to be a star my point that i'd like to make here is that i'm really excited for when they add a true number one wide receiver to the mix because then they're going to be that much more difficult to deal with Balancing that, though, is just that, I mean, he's already played so well and put up such gaudy stats that even once they have that wide receiver one, something that's going to help them in reality, something that's going to help keep him at this incredibly high plateau. I mean, Ben, what he's done to this point is not sustainable. And so, you know, we just have to keep our expectations in check. But you love to see... That's basically what I'm trying to say is, like, we shouldn't be expecting him to not play like a rookie at times. The expectations, it's it's so easy to get ahead of ourselves. I keep seeing all the tweets that he should be in the MVP conversation, and I think he actually has a case to be in the conversation. But the, the interceptions late in this game, I think, are a big element why. Like, he's he's probably not an MVP-level quarterback yet. But, like, 
so what? <laughs> right? Like we don't, don't have know. to do I that. I picked him ahead of, of Joe Burrow last week and then Burrow got hurt making it easy, easy. Yeah, I mean, there's only if, one of them still playing. Right. If I mean if the Texans keep winning, I mean it, we don't have we don't have interesting teams pushing for this. I mean, you've got I mean Prescott and Brock Purdy, maybe interesting guys in the conversation. I think that unless the Chiefs and the Eagles become more dynamic, then people are going to be reluctant to put Mahomes and I mean Jalen Hurts probably has to be the guy, right? But when it comes down to Jalen Hurts and CJ Stroud, if the Texans push and, it and finish it with does it come down to those two? I mean, there's still Mahomes, there's still Lamar Jackson, there's still Tua. If you want to, I mean, like if Miami closes well, if they get it back, like he'll be back in the discussion. He was leading in odds for a while. I mean, I, I I agree with you that there's not a lot of interesting names, but that's when like Mahomes just wins another MVP. Like, I don't think that. No, I mean, no. You can't you can't give Mahomes the MVPs that he should have won when for whatever reason they were being given to Aaron Rodgers. You've got to win him in this year. And the Chiefs can like barely move the ball. <laughs> it's gotta be Hurts. Or I, you know, I would take your Lamar Jackson nomination there. I have a hard time with Tua. I mean, Tua we love, but he's been massively overshadowed by CJ Stroud. He's not been in the same level. Yeah. No, he's not gonna win it because people don't think that he is doing enough of it himself. I mean the whatever, whatever, you know, like it or not, like it is a narrative driven award and Mike McDaniel's offense and Tyree kills skills. Those are the things that get the credit for why Miami is so good. Are you going to put Tyree kill in the conversation? What are his odds? I I don't think, well, I mean, for the reasons you just said, this is a really interesting conversation because for the reasons you just said, I could see this being, We've been saying as a NFL media community that it is now just a quarterback award and no one's a non-quarterback's never going to win it again. I think this is a year that that could actually happen, that voters could rally around somebody like Tyree Kill. He's I mean, he would have to he would have to set the receiving yardage record, but he's probably going to. I mean, he had another what, 150 yards today? What's he? Yeah, I guess when it in? comes to the receivers, I am much more strongly behind retroactively giving Cooper Cup the one that he should have obviously won. <laughs> retroactively I mean, should not have even been close. No, I agree with that. I mean, he should have won that. Yeah, I think he's yeah. Tyreek's pacing for two thousand still. I mean, yeah, it'll the whole thing will be determined here in the next several week uh, uh, weeks and and the next final two months. I think the biggest element when we get to these stages in a season is to keep in mind that there's still a lot of football to play and that what happens from here on out is going to be the stuff that weighs the most on the voters mind. So, but you want to get your message out there early, establish some momentum. You've got me fired up. I've got my CJ Stroud bandwagon going Ben. So I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it's not, you know, but I think what we're going to see, Sean, is the Chiefs actually score some points over the last couple months, and Mahomes wins it. I mean, that's that's my take. He's not even on my ballot. <laughs> 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We look on the other side here and Kyler Murray rushes for 51 yards. He scores a an electric rushing touchdown. They get Rondell Moore deep early. And Ben, if this had happened a couple of years ago, we would have opened with this. We would have talked about this for 35 minutes. We would have talked about how Rondell Moore does not have to have a zero A dot. Of course, things did go off the rails a little bit from there. Greg Dorsch leads in targets with eight. Marquise Brown and Rondell Moore only combine for six targets, and only one of those goes to Rondell. The Cardinals only score six in the second half. These drives late after the Stroud interceptions end on downs, and they end on weak punt-like throws from Kyler. Now, this is the second game back for him. We know that the Cardinals probably are not top to bottom that strong of an NFL team. We know that Joshua Dobbs has looked better with the Vikings than with the Cardinals. Where are you at with Murray through a couple of games here and with this offense? We do like to see, and in part, again, it's because we have a lot of exposure. Trey McBride, seven targets, five receptions, very involved. But, I mean, one of the frustrations, I think, both with the Cardinals, one of the things we were talking about with the Commanders is that they've gotten rid of the sacks, but they've also gotten rid of passes to their receivers. I'm concerned that Murray still doesn't have the passing ability to be not just like a, you know, a Super Bowl quarterback, because a little bit of who wins those Super Bowls is going to be fluky. The playoffs are going to have some randomness, but you want your guy to be able to get you to the playoffs year in and year out, and every once in a while get you a bye. It, considering that there are a lot of positives in this game as well, do you feel like it's too early to go right back in and say, I mean, Murray's passing does not look up to the level that you need? It's really interesting here, given all of the rhetoric kind of in the background about how the Cardinals may be wanting to move on from him. The enthusiasm after that first touchdown pass to Rondell Moore seemed very, very real. Head coach, QB, that type of relationship. And yet the problems that the offense had with Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, they manifested in a very meaningful way in the second half of a game that should have been a shootout, kind of looked like a shootout from a fantasy manager perspective. To only get six points in the second half of this game was you know, one of the downers of the week. Yeah, this had a really high over-under and looked like it was going to blow through it in the first half and then just, like you said, completely stopped scoring. 
I think I, I, I think your perspectives on Kyler and some of the passing stuff are interesting because I think it depends where you're coming at it from. You, I think, have been more optimistic about Kyler than I have. I've been coming at it with some pessimism and talked about not thinking he was going to look great when he came back right away. And so, I, I mean, not necessarily the passing, more the mobility, but I've been really, like, excited about him the last two games. And it's been fun to watch him and be like, man, this guy is is a fun watch. He's so uh, electric with the ball in his hands. You forget how quick he is. He runs – he's got an interesting run style with his short little legs. But, I mean, he he scoots, right? And uh, he had the – about a 40-yard run called back by a downfield hold. I think he still got like 20 of those yards because it was a little bit downfield. Ended up with, you know, 50-plus rushing yards. Everything you were just saying there reminds me a little bit of Justin Fields as well, who we actually saw come out and get a lot of designed runs early in this game. Similar thing. We got to see his athleticism and something that we've been calling for for Fields. And it's nice to see and, and hopefully will be a big part of what they do and they probably should have beat the Lions in this game. Man, they have a hard time putting teams away. It has been a big story of Justin Fields' short career so far that the wins and losses haven't been there, and there have been a lot of these games where they get out ahead sometimes and they, they end up not doing a, a good job of putting these games away. As you're kind of bringing Fields up, I did want to mention earlier, I thought it was an interesting play, an interesting kind of sequence at the very end there. I always think it's tough on the quarterback. If you're willing to throw once – on this final drive to make that throw on a third and long, as opposed to you could come out and throw it on first down and put your team in a good situation when the throw isn't expected. And then you could run twice if you were more or less committed to having at least two runs in that sequence, but maybe they would make more sense. They would do for more for you there, but the throw that he actually makes, right? You actually, you get a, a cool route here from Tyler Scott who gets open deep and fields made a remarkable downfield throw, incredibly accurate. And Scott ran a great route, gets open. And then as he gets open, he looks back, he stutters for just a second, not a second. I mean, like an instant, right? And that slows him just enough that the ball is, is just off of his hands. I mean, Fields can't know that he's going to slow right at the crucial moment as he decides to look over his shoulder and try to pick up the ball. I mean, you can't, you can't blow your route there after you've gotten open because if he doesn't slow down, then that's a massive game and the game is over. Right. And so, I mean, fields made a play here at the end that if his receiver does his part, you win it. And so I'm not saying that fields passed the ball beautifully, although another good game for DJ Moore. certainly not saying that he was flawless in this game, but it was too bad that, I mean, Obviously, we wanted the additional Lions points, and I wanted the Lions to win. But from a Bears perspective, it's too bad that play didn't work because Fields did his part of it. And the young receiver, if he could have made that catch, it would have been really cool for him. Yeah, I mean, so Fields, to me, the the comparison to Murray and what you're saying about the passing, I mean, is, is he was that – I mean, it, it's a bummer that they lose this game, but they compete really well on the road at – a really good Detroit team that for some people are, are in the Super Bowl discussion. And I would put myself among those some people because I do think this Detroit team has sort of all the pieces. I mean, their defense may be a little bit suspect, but when you have an offensive line like that and you can do the things they can do consistently from like a success rate standpoint in this era of the NFL, 
offensively, I honestly, I, I think they can contend with anyone, can beat anyone, uh, and could easily represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And then it's a one game, you know, one game thing to go in there and to probably have should have won, right? And it, it was that you were just talking about you want your quarterback to be good enough to be able to take you to the playoffs consistently, maybe even get you in the mix for the one seed. Fields feels like a, a far away, you know, that, that feels distant for him. But they brought him back from his injury and said, we're actually going to use you the way that we should, which they did at the end of last season. And they again tried to take out of this. And I was thinking about this during this game with Fields. And I, and I didn't mean to just completely come off of the Kyler conversation, but I'm watching Fields and I'm going, man, like, I just wish we had more coaches that let these guys be the best versions of themselves and not worry about, you know, obviously it's, it's scary if they can get, they can get injured and, and some of those things, but you gotta, you got like, you can't make them play in a way that isn't their style of playing. And then, I, and then it's just not, not, there's no positive outcome there right now. There is risk. I mean, you could argue, Shane Steichen does an incredible job with Anthony Richardson in this regard, and then Anthony Richardson does end up taking too many hits. I mean, he needs to, to learn to protect himself a little bit better, and so there's a lot of young quarterbacks that do. That has been some of the concern with Fields. The fact that they came out in this game and they said, we're going to use your design run ability to get them into the defenses that then allow you to throw on them because he's a really good deep passer. We've talked about this before. He has great touch down the field he ends up hitting dj more for the later touchdown that you just referenced more ends up with a nice seven catch 96 yard in one td game in a game where fields only throws 23 passes and for 169 yards because they do lead they do run the ball fields 18 carries 104 yards in this game more carries than any of the running backs i mean not not the running backs combined but that's the i i think the blueprint for winning with Justin Fields is is this. And do you just run him until he gets hurt, though, and then go to the next guy? Because I mean, he can't take that many hits in games consistently. I mean, I don't know listed. that it's inevitable. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like Lamar's taken has run a ton. I, I think these guys do a pretty good job of protecting themselves. I think Fields has gotten pretty good at that. A lot of the runs today were you know sweeps around the edge he's going out of bounds on a lot of them some of the data that, that was you know shown with some of these rushing qbs was that they you know i i think once we get more and more of that data and Chun, you and i have talked about this before we're going to find that, that the, the running qbs do get hurt more i mean it, it's just going to be inevitable it's the same deal with the running backs the more carries you have the more hits you take from NFL players, the more likely you are to get hurt. The more sacks that you take as a quarterback, the more likely you are to get hurt. I mean, all this stuff is... Well, and some of the issues with the running quarterbacks, once you get up to the total numbers that Fields was up to today, then you're getting a lot of risk, especially then if some of those same guys are also taking a bunch of hits from the passing perspective as well, right? Because yeah. it's not Eight, just... 18 carries is way too many. Yeah, I mean, to be clear... That's that's a crazy I mean, high number. I, was, I would love to see it. I would love to see it because if, if he could play a whole season like that, you know, and it's, it is something that Lamar Jackson has done very effectively. Now, and a lot of the plays, both of these guys do get down, right? And so it's not like they're taking running back hits every play. But yeah. the other thing is that, I mean, the Ravens' last two seasons were destroyed by Lamar Jackson getting hurt, and so yeah. it's just it's very, it's very tough. I mean, Fields looked looked great today. I wish that he could have won. When you think about 
the Cardinals? Are you saying that you want even more rushing from him with well, how dynamic I, he looks? No, what I was saying was that I think Kyler actually has a coach now in Jonathan Gannon who looks like he's capable of, number one, understanding that he needs to fit his scheme to his personnel. Number two, getting the most out of who those personnel are. He, he did an incredible job with Joshua Dobbs, I thought. Uh, obviously, you know, wasn't like perfect. Uh, and Dobbs has looked even better now that he's gone on to, to Minnesota. But this was a team that had a, you know, a win total over under a four and a half. And they might still go under that. But it was like way lower than every other team. And they came out more competitive like early on. They beat the Cowboys. You know, I mean, like it's, it's hilarious that they're they're two and nine now because they have actually won, you know, a, you know, a really strong game against the Cowboys and were very competitive in some other games against some good teams. I think Gannon is a good coach for Kyler. I think what we've seen the first two weeks that Kyler's been back is a lot of mobility, a lot of smart play calls. They had a touchdown run today on uh, – I saw somebody break it down on Twitter where it's basically showing the zone read, but then the running back releases and becomes the lead blocker. So you're kind of showing that it's going to be the pull, but like James Conner ends up being the lead blocker. Uh, Kyler ends up getting around the edge and, and getting in for a rushing TD. That ties back into some of the passing because obviously Kyler does have a height issue, which you've referenced on the show. In terms of being able to see the, over the line and a lot of those things, I think if you want to win with Kyler Murray, you do need to let him be mobile. He needs to be able to get out of the pocket and get around and get better sight lines with some consistency, right? And you need to challenge defenses enough that they're then putting the spies on the field, sometimes maybe only rushing three guys, and then that might actually help you open up some of the the vision lanes between uh, you know the the line of scrimmage. If you are concerned about that, if there aren't four or five guys coming in all being blocked at the line of scrimmage, and instead you have only three rushers and a couple of spies, and your offensive linemen are double teaming each you know two of those three guys, there's less engagement on the offensive line. There's bigger throwing windows when there's fewer you know D linemen pursuing and that happens with the spies again the spies essentially for anyone who doesn't know are just like linebackers who are sitting back a little bit waiting for kyler to break the pocket and try to run and then they're going to attack but if they're doing that and just trying to make him stand back there and throw that might help again with the issue of, of the sight lines and some of those things i i guess i i want to see more of him in jonathan gannon's offense was was sort of going to be my work my way all the way back to kyler and the fact that we got, you know, seven carries, 51 yards of TD from him, it could have been even better. Like I said, he gets loses some of those rushing yards on a downfield hold. The the passing wasn't where it needs to be, but it's his second game throwing in a live NFL game. He hasn't had any preseason action, you know, in, in 11 months, right? Like it's – I don't I, – I'm not holding it against him that he was checking down to Greg Dorch a, a, a bunch. This is his second preseason game, essentially. He was checking out a Greg Dorch a bunch. Like, that's that's going to happen. <laughs> well, I mean, he did practice some before they activated him. But, yeah, I, I think both of those things are true. I just think it'll be an interesting team to track as we go forward because it's not just that Dorch has all of these checkdowns, but in the two games back. And part of this is that, you know, Marquise Brown probably not an impact receiver. But I think when you look at the way that they're set up, especially in today's game where Michael Wilson is not available, for Marquise Brown to have nine targets in the two games as opposed to in each game and only three receptions, that is disconcerting. I think when you look at the situation where we reference that after both of the interceptions that the Cardinals turned the ball back over on downs, both of the fourth down throws were non-competitive. The very final one, a little bit of a throw up there, 
the previous drive, he has Trey McBride wide open for the conversion and has a lane. You talked about trying to get that throwing lane for him. And as he makes the throw, the ball comes out of his hands sideways. And so it certainly seemed like it may just have been a situation where the ball slipped, which, I mean, all of us playing catch have, have had that happen. But it's a weird, unfortunate time for an NFL quarterback to have it in a game situation. Or he saw something you're out of the saying, corner of his eye. You're saying he has tiny baby hands is what you're saying, right? It was a weird pass. I was trying to figure <laughs> out how he had accomplished it. It was kind of one of those things where potentially – he saw something and actually tried to pull the ball back. I mean, the ball yeah. came out really, really poorly. It was it was hard to understand exactly what happened there. But I guess as we follow the Cardinals, I do want to see more volume to the impact receivers, and then you'd like to see them continue that volume to Trey McBride. I mean, mostly you want to see more passing efficiency, more points for the Arizona Cardinals because as hard as they're playing, I mean, they deserve to get some of these victories. The coaching staff has been impressive. And so you do expect positive things from that perspective. Yeah. I I, I didn't expect a lot out of Jonathan Gannon. I, he's one of the bigger um, pleasant surprises for me for this season. For what was always going to be a lost season for the Cardinals, that's – one of the things that you have to look at as a positive going into 2024 is that you think you might have the coach. Yeah. And I mean, he was getting lambasted after the Super Bowl for how his defense played against the Chiefs. And while, you know, I mentioned to you that I don't have Patrick Mahomes in my MVP discussion right now, I mean, it was against the Chiefs. You're going to give up some points to Kansas City in that situation there. You look at the Eagles and how their pass defense has collapsed in his absence. And, you know, that combined with how hard and how well at times, especially with as overmatched as at least NFL thinkers seem to, to believe that Arizona happens to be, it, it's been an impressive debut season for him. And I think you got to give the Cardinals credit. A lot of these teams, you know, they go from when they have a young offensive minded coach like Cliff Kingsbury that that struggles, they want to go to, you know, one of the retread coaches, one of the older guys, but they went to another young coach. And we we have Gannon and offensive coordinator coordinator Drew Petting and this young staff in Arizona that I think you have to be excited. Well, Ben, that will do it for us on an interesting, we'll say, episode of Ceiling Pin as we'd hoped for a little bit more excitement, a little more health in week 11, but still some very important storylines, some dynamic games, obviously some huge plays, and hopefully Monday Night Football, Chiefs, Eagles will come through and really give us the grand finale, fantasy football-wise, reality football-wise, for week 11 i can't wait for that maybe a little bit of a super bowl preview i was saying last week lions over chiefs i don't feel as strongly about the lions after all of the mistakes they made today but hopefully my chiefs will come through at the same time allowing our eagles to score a lot of points i don't want it to be chiefs dolphins like we got in europe where nobody did anything fun so shoot out tomorrow good luck to all of our ceiling bananas listeners Get in Monday night contest, get across the finish line, get those victories. We're coming down to the pivotal moments here in the 2023 season. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is 
Ben Gretsch, make sure you follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. Stealing Lines, Stealing Signals, Stealing Signals Gold. That one is maybe my favorite to promote there. Uh, we'd love to have you guys over at Otaviz. Use coupon code RVRADIO2023 at checkout. Get a 10% coupon off your one-year subscription. Leave us a rating and review. All of those really help us. We love you guys so much. We'll talk to you soon.